0: Listen to me, traitor. I believe that you've received the death message from our Ninja Empire.
1: Ninja is supreme and you
0: have double-crossed it. Why did you do that? I have to you. reform the Ninja Empire.
1: That is why I took away... That is why I took away... The, the Golden Ninja Warrior. The Golden Ninja Warrior. You've got three days in which to return the Golden Ninja Warrior. Right? Welcome to the Golden Ninja Podcast 1 on IFD, Films and Arts, History and Ninja Terminator. This is a new show on the Podcast on Fire Network and from the Columbia Lady Style logo set to Star Wars-esque music, a rip-off that is avoided right at the last second leading into usually Godfrey-ho-credited ninja action. And to that, hilariously dubbed Western actors, Richard Harrison among others, and unnamed stuntmen in brightly colored ninja outfits, don't forget the headbands, saying ninja, combined with puzzling sections of a movie that seems rather distant from mentioned inclusions. This is the IFD experience, in a nutshell, for my money's worth anyway. So are you confused at this stage already? Well, Stick with us, and uh, we'll, we'll tell the tale of IFD with me, Kenny B. And my co-host for this opening to the series dubbed the Golden Ninja Podcast is the owner and president of Neon Harbor, which is the home of the award-winning Deja press start and Ninja the Mission Force. And it's a filmmaker, Ed Glaser, So welcome, buddy. Hello. It's a pleasure to be here. Excellent. Thank you for coming on. Thank you for coming on. Great fan of Ninja the Mission Force, and anyone who wants to channel and pay homage and kind of expand on the Godfrey Ho IFD experience really has something to say about IFD as well. That's why I reeled you in and roped you in to, to kind of talk to Godfrey Ho and the various aspects surrounding him and IFD.
0: Well, I always enjoy talking about Brightly Colored Ninjas
1: who doesn't i mean uh, for some reason none of people do they stick to these boring black uh, darkly colored ninjas in terms of their wear that's uh, that's irrational <laughs> to me <laughs> but uh we'll we'll uh, we'll check uh we'll we'll check in with all of these uh, brightly colored ninjas in a little bit as we talk ift and ninja terminator but first of all some brief contact information this is the golden ninja podcast on the podcast on fire network we are located on podcastonfire.com. you'll find this show all the other shows and bonus episodes on there email us if you have some feedback we would love to hear from from you Podcast on fire at GoogleMail.com Join us on Facebook. Facebook.com forward slash PUF network It's our page that you can like. You can join the discussion group uh, via a link on that very page or type in podcast on Fire Network in the Facebook search box. And tweet us at twitter.com forward slash podcast on fire. I write about, among other things, ninja exploitation, if you will, uh, on sogoodreviews.com and I do small video reviews, little mini commentaries on movies at SleazyKVideo.com and uh, you'll also find Taiwanese uh, genre movies over there and the occasional Hong Kong Slutty, slutty movie, smutty movie, rather. So uh, check that out. Twitter.com forward slash so good reviews is my account, Twitter account. And the Golden Ninja podcast will be on iTunes. Just got to figure out how you put podcasts on iTunes. It's been a while since we created a new show. But uh, if you like us, please leave a rating, subscribe, and even a comment if you have the time. That would very much be appreciated. And we aim to be on Stitcher Radio as well. That That is... Uh, the podcast available for streaming, you can do that online, but also through the iPhone, iPad or Android application. And once you're in Stitcher, type in the Golden Ninja podcast and you should find us, all the latest shows. In the case of this show, the latest show, the only show. And uh, add us to your favorites if you like us. So thank you very much for that. And uh, before we dive into your history and uh, your current uh, your current history and uh, your career, if you will, at Go ahead and plug your uh, your main endeavor or endeavors.
0: Sure. Well, you can find um, myself and all of my stuff at neonharbor.com. And uh, that's where you'll find my uh, films uh, and web series, including Ninja the Mission Force, which uh, is very IFT-inspired and may make more sense by the end of this podcast.
1: Mm-hmm. And uh, before we dive into all of that, uh, take us back, back I mean, Clearly, you got the filmmaking bug, or the writing bug, or the making make-believe bug at some point. So, how did it start? When did it, when did it start? Is is this something you can pinpoint? Um, is Is there a key event in your life, um, whether you you were young or old? I
0: suspect so. I and mean, first of all, I I don't have much of a writing bug. I'm actually a really atrocious writer, so <laughs> okay. uh, I I rely on people who are far more competent than myself uh, on the films and shows that I do. But I think. It was probably Mystery Science Theater 3000, the television show that makes fun of uh, uh, various and sundry, outrageous, low-budget movies. And uh, as a kid, I thought, surely I can make better movies than this. So (laughs) I picked up a camera and uh, gave it a shot. turns out that I was wrong, but uh, that didn't dissuade me, and I just kept doing it.
1: Well, if there ever is a point where it's, so to say, is going to go wrong, it's at the beginning, and then you just kind of – keep at it and do it. And, um, you know, you don't expect to be Spielberg out of the, out of the gate. Uh, no. if, you're, if you're a normal person, if you will. Um, I wonder if um, Mr. Science PLF 3000 ever did a IFT movie. I suspect not, for some reason. No, they didn't. Because there was something out there and they would have had fun doing it. Like, uh, the, these movies are not connected, you know. That's the main joke. And they would have had so much fun riffing on that.
0: They did a few... Uh tv movies that were stitched together episodes of television shows and one of them was um master ninja aka the master that was a tv series starring uh Shokasugi and lee van cleef and timothy van patten so right that i, th- that I think was their main uh ninja related fodder
1: mm. oh there's certainly a legacy over there so very cool that you were Inspired by that, and I suppose my next question kind of answers it itself in a way that uh, you you cited these guys, you know, this crew as an influence. Uh, but uh, is there any other like key influence uh, throughout your like creative life uh, up till this day that you look up to and still follow and uh, still try to channel, if you will?
0: Sure, uh, Roger Corman is probably the biggest one. Mm-hmm. Uh, I dig his uh, style, um, his drive and his ability to do a whole lot with not very much. Uh, Along the same lines, Robert Rodriguez is another one of those people who I admire. Um, I'm not quite able to do anything as cool as he has done, but uh, his stuff is still awesome. And uh, I'm a big fan of uh, Turkish filmmakers uh, from the 1980s who, once again, did a whole lot with very little and ended up with some very uh, fun, silly action movies.
1: Yeah, certainly that's a theme of uh, one of your uh, your web series that will talk of uh, the love for Turkey is uh, quite unique and quite strong in you, which is something I I admire and enjoy. Uh, so uh, and and that is done obviously under the uh, the Neon Harbor banner. And uh, the, was this uh, your first production company? If, if this is what your per definition are, and, uh, is that a great idea to go into business on your own rather than just putting videos? online on on YouTube or Dailymotion, if you will, is it a harder thing to pull off being uh, something on your own? Well, I think you can sort of
0: be one and the same. Once you put videos online and they're your own content and you monetize them, you are sort of by definition in business. So um, I think that you can absolutely do both uh, without too much added stress. Neon Harbor is the first production company, uh, first probably, I'll say, legit production company that I've had. It used to be under a different name, Dark Maze, but it is the same company. We just changed our name last year. Uh, Before that, I did make films um, in high school, in college. Uh, I would usually put some kind of production company name on them, but uh, it didn't become a real thing until after that. Uh, And with my first feature-length film, Press Start, back in 2007
1: yeah, I always got the impression though that um, you know uh, you are so hands on you know uh, and uh, you know production designing and shooting and directing and what have you I mean is, is this uh, is that where the stress comes in I guess is my question being so hands on throughout the entire production yes uh, <laughs> the the thing is that uh, I mean you're, you're a cinematographer as well you're not just a director I mean you shoot your stuff as far as I know yeah
0: Uh, For the most part, um, not always, and the thing is that I, for the longest time, have been sort of a one-man band um, and trying to pull in people wherever I could uh, to fill various roles, but um, usually, uh, until very recently, uh, when I had a crew, it was usually whatever actors were not on camera, Mm -hmm. and uh, that's only increased by maybe one person or two people. Uh, over the course of my uh, filmmaking endeavors. So uh, I'm very hands on in part because I have to be, otherwise, there would be no film.
1: Mm-hmm. Are, are these duties do, that you aim to kind of let go uh, of, uh, or you need to personally be there from conception to final video or final DVD, if you will? Well, I think
0: to a certain extent, I'll always be there throughout the entire process, but. Uh, Letting go of some of these tasks and handing them over to people who are better qualified than myself is uh,
1: definitely the goal. It's a better idea. <laughs> yes. By definition. But uh, yeah, I, I can relate sort of to that. I mean, uh, the podcasting endeavor, which is nothing, you know, that is comparable because we're not doing movies or anything. I, I If I record myself, I would never dare to let anyone else edit it because um, – If I do it myself, then I got to be responsible for the entire process myself. It's only, you know, if someone does the uh, preparation and uh, writing of the outline and is uh, going to talk of a certain aspect on the show, I leave it to that person to do that, though. But if I if I did it myself, then I have to see it through. So I can kind of uh, relate to that, even though it's a big, uh, big time consuming task, if you will.
0: Absolutely. I mean, it's your vision.
1: Exactly. It so, uh, uh, definitely makes sense. Uh, uh, you mentioned Press Start. Uh, I mentioned the Deja View and certainly Ninja Mission 4. So if focusing on, for instance, uh, Deja View, you know, clearly this award-winning video series is this labor of love as it's fueled by a fandom of yours uh, of very specific cinema. Where did that come from? And, and again, what is Deja View for anyone who doesn't know? Sure. Well, Deja View uh,
0: hopefully ha- uh, has um, may have a certain amount of interest to uh, the listeners of the IFD, IFD podcast. It um, focuses specifically – it's a web series that focuses specifically on foreign remakes of popular American films. So uh, Turkish films uh, for sure, uh, India, Italy, um, Nigeria, all of these countries that have in many cases illegally – through copyright infringement, um, made their own films based on movies like uh, The Matrix or um, The Exorcist, Superman, uh, Star Trek, and a whole lot more. Um, But it's uh, like I said, it's more than just Turkish. In fact, in one case, it was a Korean animated knockoff of Tron that was later bought up by Joseph Lies IFD films
1: and uh released in english that that's one section of IFD i haven't delved into yet but i would love to because there there's a case of they always made a great poster and then you look at these uh, merged movies or uh, if it's one production you look at that these wow it's not as good as it's Yes, the thing, it's copying and it's kind of enjoyable because of it. And I'm sure you can see that in the Nigerian uh, episodes that you had and and the various Turkish ones because they they remade them themselves, uh, these filmmakers. They didn't just splice in Star Wars footage and Superman footage all the time. They remade the entire things themselves, which is a lot more fun and a lot more um, Admirable to an extent, I suppose.
0: Usually on about a thousandth of the budget, exactly, which
1: we which I enjoy. It comes from passion, not just like shameless exploitation. I mean, a, a cash-in is uh, per definition a cash-in, but still, you know, they they um it it, it must come from a place of passion somewhere in there, anyway.
0: Uh, yeah, absolutely, and sometimes and sometimes it's both.
1: Well Is it fair to say the Turkish cinema is still um, pretty much a big part of your movie fandom? Is this uh, comfort fodder for you to put on a to put on a Turkish superhero movie late at night or what have you?
0: Oh, absolutely! I mean, those those are among my absolute favorites. There's they have so much energy. They're so outrageous and huge and, and far-reaching and uh, spectacular. That uh, again, on you know a shoestring budget, uh, that I just adore them.
1: Do you like it when they redid the entire movie themselves, only beat by beat, uh, picking a template from somewhere else? Or do you like their mix of footage from, for instance, Star Wars, mixed with their own footage kind of thing? Well,
0: they're completely different kinds of things, and I love them both. But with a film like Turkish Star Wars, they, uh, they did Dam, they, they took Star Wars footage and cut it into their own science fiction movie, along with music from... Indiana Jones and Flash Gordon and Battlestar Galactica and all kinds of things. And it's just mind-blowing while the main character is jumping around on trampolines and uh, impaling Muppets with their own arms. It's <laughs> it's really – I mean that's that's a trip uh, and it's a completely different kind of film, of course. Um, there are films like uh, um, Shaitan, uh, which is a Turkish version of The Exorcist, and that's almost beat for beat and it's really kind of spectacular to see how they – Completely remake a film, but it's a question of you know seeing seeing something that's so familiar through a totally different lens, and whether that's uh, how do you make the same thing on no budget in a different culture or how do you localize a story so that it's relevant to a particular culture? In fact, I I bought the rights to the Turkish Rambo um, a number of years ago and uh, dubbed that and released it on DVD. Unfortunately, it's out of print. But um, it was really interesting to see how they localized the story so that it wasn't about an American POW who uh, – or sorry um, – uh, an American Vietnam vet who was kind of disillusioned going back into Vietnam to rescue POWs, wow. uh, but rather it, it was completely changed so that it had a, a Turkish uh, bent and was about um, Turkish, relevant Turkish politics and uh, conflicts.
1: Yeah, that, that was a great um, advantage to that DVD. I do have it, and I, I did watch it, and the behind-the-scenes stuff that you did, that uh, there was more behind the uh, ill special effects, albeit the energetic special effects. There was more behind the, the famous uh, special effect, uh, or special uh, uh, the, the special audio, if you will, in that movie. Thump! You know, there was more behind the thump in uh, Turkish Rambo. So it was great. It was really great. I admire the work you, put, you guys put into that. You've uh, obviously uh, – oh, by the way, I have a spontaneous, spontaneous question. Have you ever had an idea to do something, uh, make something yourself based on that love for Turkish, call it, rip-off cinema? I, I, I'm i saying that with great uh, with, uh, positivity. Of course, have you ever had like an idea to do something with that love?
0: Uh, I would love to do a documentary on that whole – uh, genre, uh, I don't know if genre is the right word, but you get the idea, um, mm-hmm. and uh, delve even deeper into that and be able to show people what it was like and what was involved.
1: Yeah, you certainly uh, tracked down some people, because I remember you, you had some, there were some interviews with the um, star of uh, of Rampage, Turkish Rambo, that, did you uh, track that gentleman down yourself, or was that, um, how did that uh, come about?
0: facebook believe it or not actually the the uh, the funny thing was that i wasn't able to connect with hardly any of these people until after i had already released the dvd uh-huh. and uh at, after that it was that's how i managed to kind of long distance uh talk to the director who was also the director of turkish star wars and uh um, do an interview with Serdar uh, Kebabciyar, who was the star of the Turkish Rambo, and um, he. There was no one really quite knew where he was. Um, I'm sure the people that you know lived around him and around his gym who knew where where he was, but uh, the rest of the world not so much. Until uh, shortly after the release of the DVD, he appeared on Facebook, and a colleague of mine pointed me to him, and uh, the internet is magic.
1: Indeed, I mean you've you planted a seed right there. I mean, a documentary is not out of the question, and I enjoy these uh, documentaries that go into the history of a certain countries, um, especially exploitation cinema. Um, I recently saw, well, well, obviously uh, the uh, exploitation documentary, but even the um, the Machete Maidens Unleashed mm-hmm. documentary I saw recently. And I have little exposure to Filipino cinema, but it's such a cool subject to just do. Period, you know, whether it's a web series or full uh, full feature length, or even a you know some kind of documentation uh, on the web, if you will, it's um, really something I can absorb uh, quite easily. So, so, so I, I I encourage you to, to do it. Add add tune in, or buy the DVD, or have you. Another endeavor, if you also, of course, that we mentioned, Ninja Mission Force, uh, which could have been an IFD title. Uh, so a great, um, so great that you found uh, found something that IFD had not already taken, if you will. And uh, this currently two season old web series is this obviously over the top homage to a piece of commercialism and movie fandom. And I'm talking obviously about the IFD practices and uh, their their way of tapping into. Uh, the craving market at the time. And, uh, and obviously that's the final product signal that you guys uh, are fans of, uh, Godfrey Ho, the cut and paste techniques for, you know, for all its pros and cons, you know, and all its sins. But again, I guess the question is why cut and paste in the new millennium?
0: <laughs> you know, it's interesting because, uh, cut and paste has found a resurgence in the new millennium, thanks to the mashup, which is by no means, um, obviously with, uh, as we'll know from IFD, uh, not really a new phenomenon, but there's a new kind of phenomenon around it on the Internet. Uh, so I think it's, it's very uh, relevant to do something like that, but really I did it because it was a lot of fun, and I'm a huge fan of the IFD films, uh, taking new footage of white dudes in uh, candy-colored ninja suits and then inserting them into completely different movies, and I thought this time let's just try to do it specifically uh, intentionally, For laughs and while I think it may be difficult to outdo what IFD has already done with things like the ninja challenge card and (laughs) uh, so many other uh, bits of silliness, uh, it was just something that uh, I thought would be a lot of fun to do and hopefully uh, fun to watch as well.
1: I think it is. I mean, I can only, um, I, I've so far only seen uh, season one. I got season two on DVD, but uh, I, I greatly enjoyed it. And it you took it into your own, you know, oddball, wacky places by, you know, s- setting it in space and just doing over-the-top-ball-marsh rather than to try and mimic the feel to, like, yeah, down to the down to the tiniest detail. You took it into your own, like. Over the top, yeah, yeah. I suppose that is uh, my main memory of it, and I enjoyed that because otherwise it would have been too much of. I I see what they're doing, and I'm not seeing anything new. But what you did was uh, a lot more than that.
0: Well, right. I mean, the thing is that uh, Joseph Fly and Company has had already taken it over the top, so you had to take it over over the top.
1: Yes. And uh, certainly, I, I don't remember what, what episode it was, but I certainly the main images I have in front of me is the fact that you had a Richard Harrison movie in there. So you continued the Richard Harrison exploitation, if you will. Oh, yes. Putting, how could you not? By putting him in more movies. Like, I thought, I thought they were done with this shit. but
0: that, that poor bastard.
1: A gladiator movie, in this case, as uh, so one of his Italian movies. Uh, and uh, I don't remember now, but uh, I don't know if that was the episode where your character went into space as well. But uh, it would have been great if that was the episode.
0: Oh, yeah. Unfortunately, it's a, it's a separate one. But
1: uh... is um, if I may ask, uh, is there a season three in the works, or that's uh, all uh, all up in the air right now?
0: It is up in the air right now. Um, uh, it's it would be fun to do, uh, but I don't have any current plans to do it.
1: Right on. Well. Guys, it's online. It's on Neon Harbor. You can always buy the DVD as well if you want uh, or want this series gathered that way. There's some special features on there. Uh, your co-star Brad Jones, aka the Cinema Snob, is. Um it's in the show. He plays, uh, pl- plays the villain and uh, obviously it's on the uh, helped out of a DVD as well. And uh, so it's a good little package. And uh, you, you guys did some uh, Riff DVDs as well, you know, in the tradition of Mystery Science Theater 3000 that you can buy from your uh, Neon Harbor website. I think you riffed on uh, one of the Godfrey over movies, Ninja Empire, I believe. It was
0: one of the – actually, it's a Filmark film, which I think we'll – I guess we'll probably talk about the difference between those later on.
1: Here you go. even I, that is so in deep and in, deep, uh, in bed with the with the IFD, film Mark, and Godfrey Ho experience, even I get confused sometimes. You know, was it film Mark? Was it IFD? <laughs> I don't know anymore. Uh, but uh, you're right, we have to kind of set some facts uh, straight. So uh, let's go into the history, uh, because IFD is a name that people hear, and I think it's only suitable to try and give. Not a definite history by any stretch of the imagination, and I think a lot of people are a lot more apt and better at it. Detailing this history, but uh, certainly um, we're going to do our best to put things in perspective. So uh, uh, we, we're going behind the ninja suits, if you will. Behind a lies a company that was thriving in the 80s. I, they were really successful, and they made and they made a splash as a distributor of English language action entertainment containing the flavor of the time, mostly associated, therefore, with uh, the ninja flavor of the time of the 80s. And the man usually associated with IFD is Godfrey Ho, because uh, he's usually the filmmaker that you uh, see, and uh, often uh, often the one that's, uh, if you type in um, IFD Ninja on YouTube, you you'll often find Godfrey Ho mentioned in, in the descriptions, if, if you have, if you will. We kind of need to start with the man behind you know before godfrey oh and it is joseph lie you know he's the man behind the brightly colored ninja footage at the very top of the ifd chain if you will so uh, this is uh, this is his story and i mean he gained knowledge of both local and international film distribution through working with his sister terry lie who owned the uh, intercontinental film distributor which actually is Actually, it's IFT. Uh, They were one of the biggest distributors of non Chinese movies in Hong Kong, and they uh, played the markets like and territories such as the Middle East, Europe, and Africa. And um, eventually, Joseph Lai uh, went out on his own after having uh, gained a lot of knowledge and uh, formed this Hong Kong based production and distribution company called IFT Films which is a, a
0: different IFE that's uh, international finance development. Yeah, exactly.
1: So he he kind of, you know, took his uh, maybe out of respect to his sister like I'm going to continue by IFD banner if you really taught me so much but I'm going to be IFD films and arts and uh, be a finance, you know. <laughs> and uh, he's out to make money obviously and he did and you know he spotted a chance to tackle and provide Asia with the flavor of the time and uh, we'll talk more of that. But we're gonna stop right there and just ask a basic question to uh, to the room. And uh, so, can, can you, if you think back, I know this is hard, like remember when you know when you started watching these ID movies, these ninja cut and paste movies that we'll be talking of in a short bit, or, or did it because it did for me take a few years before you were aware of what this company was and what they were doing and who Godfrey Ho was?
0: I do remember, and the first one that I saw actually was a Filmark film, so it was it was a different company who had, who had sort of spawned because of ifd yeah but um uh same formula and it was this gangster movie i put it in because it was uh it was called ninja empire and I was watching it with some friends uh and it's it's a film that it's it's actually also known as um ninja phantom heroes usa i believe
1: that that title i remember and that's a film mark to me so <laughs> there we go
0: exactly and we're watching this movie that's basically a chinese gangster film um, or not gangster in the in the sense of uh, Edward G. Robinson, but you know the triads. Mm-hmm. And then occasionally there's this white guy with a mustache uh, going around and fighting in a camouflage ninja suit and uh, teleporting in puffs of smoke. And then it would cut back to the gangster film, and they're supposed to be connected, but they were. It was making no sense. And finally, we realized about halfway through that these are two completely different movies that have been jammed together somehow. And I had never seen anything like it until um, not too long after that I discovered uh, my first actual IFD film, which was Ninja the Protector, which uh, did something very similar, although I think they did it a little bit better.
1: That's the very fun thing about, I mean, as a fan of IFD and film,ark you realize after a while they were doing the same formula, but film,ark were ever so slightly more crappier. You know, Godfrey Ho had some skills. The directors of it, Philmark, it, it was kind of just worse, but a lot more fun in my mind as well. It was, uh, I don't know how to describe it. Different feel, for my money's worth. Well, I could easily see that what Philmark was doing wasn't Godfrey Ho. Because, uh, Absolutely. There's no question. He, he, he was more, I don't know, as whack and mad as the Godfrey Ho stuff is, he was kind of more straight and serious. So, um, the Philmark stuff is just. Out there, especially when they started doing Hopping Vampires, uh mixed in with ninjas and a gangster movie from elsewhere.
0: <laughs> oh yes, oh yes. There's really there's there's almost no comparison.
1: And I, I, I can't really pinpoint uh where it all started for me. I know though that it took a while before I put the pieces together. So I think I saw Ninja Terminator years ago and kind of forgot about it. I do I, I do Remember still the Wang Jiangli blonde wig, uh, as anyone will, that is in the original, that's from the Source movie. But it just took a few years before I slowly and gradually kind of got into them and realized what it was and what the concept of these cut and paste movies were for, uh, for the market, or what they were doing for the market. And slowly but surely, the fascination came in there that this is fun commercialism that is obviously inept, but. They're kind of aware of it and they're doing a shameless thing that is not shameless at the same time they're tapping into what the market wants you know the market craves ninja movies well we just have to put ninjas in there regardless if it's a skilled uh product or not you know a skilled merger of movies he realized joseph Lai after working for terry Lai, his sister and learning from a, that there was this market gap you know hong kong companies weren't distributing internationally enough was one Ford, for instance, and uh, IFT, uh, under a different banner, though, I think they kind of mixed uh, the names on the movies, if you will, but under a different banner, ASO Asia, they produced and financed a Korean shot um, kung fu movies. Um, you have a movie like The Magnificent that stars uh, Kat Wong and Chen Sing. Eventually, they were the first company to be part of the American film market, which is uh, one of the major film markets for international distribution. And they started to sell their products via quite Simplified deals, you know, less expensive rates internationally. Uh, and uh, therefore, they also learned that the market uh, can't have Chinese movies, you know, in Chinese. They dubbed them in English as well and got them onto the market as well. And they, this is all before the ninja creation. or you know, they he tapped into one go, uh, market gap. And uh, and gambled by selling for lower rates, uh, uh, but I always like that story. He seemed flexible. I think Lie seemed like, flexible. They struck deals with companies and countries that said that there's no need for a cinema run. You know, we got home video by now. Home video was quite uh, huge. But then again, some countries did put these movies into cinemas. You know, as uh, some of the Ninja movies played in, for instance, um, cinemas in Greece because certain Greece. Uh, Greek VHS releases are straight from the cinema print, which is um, quite mad, you know. So normally when you see FD trailers, it's always coming soon to this screen. And normally that meant the little video screen. But sometimes Richard Harrison's, you know, embarrassed face <laughs> being in this movie played on the big screen, which was uh, cool. You know, They, uh, I, I, also, I always enjoyed that, um, you know, they were businessmen, but they kind of gave... Uh, People freedom to, you know, ju- just put them out there somehow. These movies, even though it's only video, because video is big, video is booming, uh, and that, that that was a good choice. I mean, I don't have figures, but IFD, by all accounts, were successful, you know, and they continued on uh, throughout the years and whatever.
0: Companies like Shaw Brothers were telling uh, distributors in the countries, if you're going to buy our movies, then there must you must have. Uh, at least a limited theatrical run mm-hmm. before home video, and you must buy all of these kinds of rights for x amount of money. And uh, they could come to IFD and say, "We would like uh, we would like your film just for video rights under these conditions," and they would say, "All right, they would be happy to take their money."
1: Mm-hmm. And they, even though the production uh, productions that they got weren't necessarily Showgirls sure quality, they weren't. <laughs> but You know, if you tally up the numbers, if you had the numbers easily accessible, I think uh, IFT could uh, rival Shaw Brothers in the home video market uh, in terms of um, the 80s and uh, even more so because uh, Shaw Brothers' home video availability kind of stopped rather. Uh, in the mid '80s, uh, and officially they weren't available until the new millennium again. So um, the exposure of ID, even though people might not know of them specifically, they just find these bargain-bin DVDs with uh, strange-looking ninjas on them. They, the exposure was still kind of uh, global and big. I mean, I mean, in your local uh, video shop, can you remember seeing uh, a lot of these when, when you think back?
0: I can't, but I've met other people who did. So I think I'm in the in the minority. It wasn't until later on that I discovered them in their uh, resurgence.
1: Mm, Indeed. And, uh, yeah, as we said, they were the first Hong Kong company to get worldwide distribution on video, and um, Shaw Brothers not only didn't distribute on video um, for much of the 80s, they stopped their production in the mid-80s. So, therefore, when the Ninjas hit, which was the mid-80s, then Shaw Brothers, for instance, were no threat, if you will. So um, that, that's uh, rather cool. And uh, throughout all of this, um, Joseph Lai brought on board a college friend uh, Thomas Tang and uh, younger director Godfrey Ho. And this was the team at Asoasia essentially. But uh, my understanding is also when IFD was formed, Thomas Tang wasn't on board IFD for very long or at all because he formed his own company, Filmock And uh, started distributing uh, movies uh, and eventually also making these uh, ninja cut and paste movies. So... Uh, uh, so that was the core team for a while uh, Thomas Tang, Joseph Lai and Godfrey Ho and uh, there are there some misinformation out there that thankfully has been cleared up now we are not the first ones to do this that all of these people were the same that Thomas Tang and Godfrey Ho were the same person, that uh, both companies were the same, a whole lot of to me uh, stupid and kind of silly rumors because the answers are so clear but that's that's coming from a fan, uh, fan perspective And uh, so let, let's clear up some rumors then you know, Godfrey Ho never worked at Filmak, despite those wacky ninja pictures like Ninja Empire being awfully similar to the IFD formula. And the uh, same actors as well, because I think in Ninja Empire, I might be wrong, uh, it might star or co-star Mike Abbott, who was also a player at the IFD. So there's some extra confusion for you
0: right he's he's in uh he's not of that one but i know he's in some others stuart smith is another actor who
1: appeared in both companies films indeed indeed and 2014 is a great year for getting continually cleared up information about who was who who did what then for instance you know uh, thomas tang was not only an actual person uh, working independently uh, outside of ifd uh, uh, running his own company but he unfortunately passed away in a tragic fire in 1996 in Hong Kong there, and he some um, there's some um, YouTube footage of him being interviewed uh, that just uh, surfaced so uh, it's uh, something to um, take to heart that uh, these were three two different businessmen and one director
0: I wasn't I wasn't aware of that new footage surfacing I'm fascinated by that
1: it's from a, a DVD uh, of a um, a German release of a Filmark movie that I'm blanking on now, but I'm going to look up the link because I've seen... I I, I know a guy who put together a DVD and he showed me that footage of Thomas Tang at a... um, at uh, some uh, show where he was trying to sell his movies, speaking uh, wonderful English, and uh, maybe shot a year or two before he passed away in 1996. And uh, the fact of the matter is that IFD and Filmark, at least at one point, their offices were in the same building as well. I've seen uh, business cards, uh, IFD, uh, Joseph Ly's business card and Thomas Tang's business card, and they're essentially the same address too which <laughs> could add to that, like, oh, wait a minute. they might be same same persons. But no, they just happen to be in the same building. But uh, Joseph Lai, uh, as far as I know, uh, uh, wasn't present when um, when that tragic fire broke out. I, I don't blame anyone, though, for carrying on the misinformation, if you will, because it can be hard to kind of sort out. But now we have more in-print, first-hand accounts of the IFD and Filmock years from the actors, if you will. You know, Stuart Smith has been interviewed, Richard Harrison has been interviewed, Mike Abbott has been interviewed, and they kind of um, paint a clearer picture of what was going on that some of us uh, knew already. You interviewed a an actor that worked for IFD, and I'm blanking on this gentleman's name as well.
0: That's right, uh, Andy Sharofsky, who was an actor and a dubber for a bunch of the IFD films, and he's a, he's a terrific guy, but you'll probably. Uh, he appeared in a couple of films, um, Ninja the Protector and uh, uh, Ghost Ninja slash Diamond Ninja Force, something along those <laughs> lines. Um, uh, and uh, he's terrific in both of them. But you'll hear him in uh, a great number of them.
1: You know, he, he, even some of the on, uh, on-screen on talent at IFD, uh, guys like, uh, I think, uh, Pierre Tremblay was uh, a dubber for uh, big studios in Hong Kong. You can hear his voice on big uh, Cinema City movies. like mean, just got places, movies, or so even The Killer, I think. I've seen uh, footage of Pierre Tremblay uh, in the studio dubbing The Killer, uh, John Woo's The Killer. Uh, which is pretty cool. So they um, they, uh, they got some gigs outside of IFD. You know, we touched upon this. So, I mean, uh, uh, you you sorted out with Godfrey Hall, Thomas Tang, Joseph Lai, laundry um, a little while ago anyway, uh, who was who and who did what, if you will. It, it just depends on the way that you're looking at them.
0: And I, I'm fascinated by kind of deconstructing how stuff like that's made. And it just became clear to me pretty quickly that these are very different styles, they're not the same person.
1: So we're at the notorious, if you will, and the best-known legacy of IFT that was later copied by filmmark And it was the idea of latching onto the ninja craze of the 80s. And obviously Western efforts such as Enter the Ninja and American Ninja being well-known poster boys for this trend. Uh, certainly Return of the Ninja as well, uh, which I like a lot better than Enter the Ninja. Uh, the Shogun's Return of the Ninja, or is it Revenge of the Ninja? I can't uh, remember. Revenge that. of the Ninja, right, Blade. right, right. I think it's a far, far superior movie, and it's so much fun. They started to acquire a range of genre movies from various Asian territories, like they did, such as Thailand, South Korea, Taiwan, the Philippines, and even Hong Kong, and cut into these were Western actors, uh, most notably former spaghetti Western actor and gladiator actor, if you will, Richard Harrison. And uh, they represented the ninja action plots of movies such as Ninja Terminator, Ninja Bear Protector, Ninja Thunderbolt. While not high art, uh, Joseph Lai would and will always correctly say that they were aware of the film's limitation, but they were aware of their market power as well. And that, that's an important stance, I think, yeah, knowing the quality of your work, you know, uh, which is a mix of that. Shame, Being doesn't being a businessman at the same time, but seeing as these are fun, then I don't mind. Obviously, it didn't uh, produce uh, anything offensive, if you will, uh, Joseph Lai. Like. Uh, but what was important that when making these, uh, when doing these mini shoots required to... Um, Creative Ninja movies was that they gave new directing, acting, and stunt talent a chance, especially stunt talent, local stunt talent. Uh, It goes in line with that theme of openness, I think, that we talked of in regards to the deals that IFD made, that um, they gave people a shot. You know, the Westerners that had no chance of getting a a lead role in a Hong Kong movie uh, uh, got a chance to be leads uh, in uh, IFD movies. So some. Most people, I think, uh, liked the IFT experience. Richard Harrison is uh, one of the examples uh, where the IFT experience uh, was akin to hell. And we'll talk of uh, why that was akin to hell if uh, some people do not know. <laughs> the, the, the fun thing with IFT movies, also you touched upon is that they're incredibly tough to follow at times as uh, re-edited and restructured. But there is an energy present in these films that is both entertaining as a fan of less than refined cinema as I am and certainly you are as well and and it's fascinating if you put yourself into the mindset of a unit like IFD from a business perspective it's uh, it's about satisfying your market and the market created and the market I think uh, when they showed it out to um, you know the final customer if you will um gave uh, a lot of viewers fun you know a lot of viewers probably went what the fuck is this and they kind of recognized that this is um energetic and fun, and uh, let's uh, let's get another one, you know, in the video story. Let's rent two next time. Hopefully that was the kind of the story.
0: Just to make it absolutely plainly clear, uh, what they were doing was taking these existing movies, usually from other Asian countries, uh, and then filming a bunch of new scenes of random white guys, literally people who were Caucasian, who were in Hong Kong for whatever reason, um, you know, sp- shooting, shooting stuff with them for a few days, then just Cutting these scenes into these existing movies and dubbing the whole thing as as if it is one continuous movie, and that these yep. two plots are interrelated,
1: and it's a threadbare illusion. If that, if or not an illusion at all, that this is a one movie. You know, they often connected them through phone calls. You know, if there was a phone call in the original movie, then that was a good, you know, opportunity to put uh, Richard Harrison there to speak with the other movie on a Garfield phone normally <laughs> oh yes uh I, I liked it better when they uh, placed uh, the actors uh, sort of saying the same room like uh, placed place them against a wall that sort of matched in color and talking about oh yeah talking to the other movie <laughs> yes we'll just we'll just drape a, a blue uh piece
0: of fabric behind them and it totally matches there you yeah.
1: go and the film stock is all kind of varies as well so it's even more fun and even more obvious so uh but the, the demand must have been high in the 80s. They couldn't supply the market in time. So they uh, they, they kind of started doing this to n- not only simplifying their um, the way they shot their footage and the kind of stories they were creating uh, as they created new ninja movies. They took present products in their vaults you know, that they produced as well. There's an example, at least one example, I think, of them taking one of their own martial arts movies, their period martial arts movies, and combining them with modern-day footage. I think this is the latter kickboxing trend, Over there is one such example that the demand was so high that they had to work with their own uh, owned or uh, footage. And I think even they reused some of the required uh, uh, movies um, to save time as well. There's an example where they put out this movie called Fury in Red, which is a complete a uh, Dubbed Taiwanese movie that was called Girl with a Gun. It's the um, Taiwanese uh, Miss 45. They later made a cut and paste movie using that one with um, Jack Kirby. It's um, it's possibly called in um, it's called Crackdown Mission in Germany, but I'm, I'm not sure that's the original IFD title. But that's also I'm
0: I'm 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 in the midst of of doing further research on that right now. I can tell you though that it is uh, its original title was American Commando Five Fury in Red.
1: There it goes. Uh, that that makes a lot more sense. That they they used a title they'd already come up with, and those series, those various um, official Exterminator, American Commando series, they went on for like five, six, seven, eight movies. They weren't series, but that makes sense. That simplifying the process by just using you know whatever's there, including titles. Uh, but uh, yeah, that, that movie as um, I'd love to see it in English. It's uh, one of those um, movies that's only available in a different language that I don't understand. But uh, it's. Um, it's great. I love the original F- Fury in Red or Girl with a Gun, but um, yeah. <laughs> uh, the, the best time, actually, it's a good example to mention that the best time watching one of these movies, these cut and paste movies, whether it's ninjas or not, is when the contrasts are there in terms of the source movies genre and obviously the ninja action genre that Godfrey Ho is shooting. Because uh, they put horror movies next to the ninja action. They put dramas next to the ninja action and even put dramas that take place over. A period of 40-50 years next to the Richard Harrison footage and the ninjas obviously don't age at all.
0: You're, you're I think, I think you're speaking there of uh, Ninja Commandments. If I'm I not am. Mistaken. I
1: am. It's uh, one oh, of my, my favorite, uh, one of my favorite movies and one of my favorite uh, line readings uh, by a dubber. It's, it's said on um, in the movie as well. You can see the actor says this line, but the movie opens with uh, a ridiculous line that will tickle me forever. You all may wonder where Rodney and Janet are. And that just says it all. Rodney and Janet, number one. IFD, how the hell did you come up with those random names? And it just sets the stage of inept fun right there, you know.
0: Well, I think you've touched on something there, which is that in the process of uh, westernizing these films uh, a a little bit so that they can sell them internationally, uh, they would come up with westernized names and they, they do this for the cast and crew as well um, but as characters they would come up with just the wildest uh usually sort of pseudo british and i'm guessing that's because it's hong kong um names like um oh gosh i mean godfrey to begin with and because his name was not godfrey ho but it's it's things like that
1: homer Kwong
0: is one of my favorite he homer be- Kwong, absolutely uh, there's a bunch of raymond's I saw I
1: saw a Warren on the Ninja Terminator Prince, which uh, tickled me. Absolutely. Warren C-S-E-E.
0: And and the thing was that uh, they would come up with these uh, Western names, but just the first names. And I I don't mean for the cast and crew. I mean for the characters. No one has last names. They are uh, they're Gordon or Bruce or Harry Penny.
1: Uh, and uh, it, it's good fun. Uh, even that aspect is good fun. And you also touched on a thing that is a uh, piece of misinformation that was out there at one point, that the IFD stole movies, so that they bought unfinished movies. But uh, no, they didn't. I mean, nowadays, we can track back to Thailand or Taiwan or Hong Kong and they kind of uh, even get the original movies as they were originally released and edited. Yeah. Um, uh, so that, that's an important piece of misinformation. I, I, I literally read that at that one point that they stole movies.
0: And, and if, if you if you want to find out, actually, if, if you're really genuinely interested in the films that were used to make these uh, film loafs, then uh, I highly recommend checking out um, Jesus Molina's blog, which is Golden Ninja Warrior Chronicles.blogspot.com, yeah. uh, because he has researched. Ex- extensively into uh what was used to create the ifd films
1: indeed we we always reference that that blog when we do our taiwan noir uh, uh podcast and it's it's a great treasure of information that I've, um, I've i've asked kindly for information from jesus uh, to use on my own reviews and obviously credit him and it's um it's a part of the slowly but surely uh, getting a clear picture of uh, the ifd and film um the film mock years, if you will, and he's done a great job. Uh, the final note, I guess, is that people don't acknowledge a lot is the fact that uh, one, as I said, the, um, some at that point, unknown Chinese stuntman were getting a chance to uh, to appear on on, on camera as uh, obviously these were westerners that they hired they weren't acrobatic and knew martial arts so as soon as the action kicked in cut to the Chinese stuntman so sometimes obvious sometimes very well doubled and uh, that. M- Occasionally, especially in Ninja Terminator, we get some pretty skilled action, uh, fl- smooth and well edited and uh, action that just flows that has the Hong Kong energy, which uh, is uh, pretty cool to have. You know, it's not easy to extract a good element within a kind of inept frame. I know that, listeners, but uh, it's, it's part of a, it's an aspect that is important to note as well. Uh, it's the element that's sold, you know, a ninja action. That's what they wanted to sold. And occasionally they really delivered on the ninja action.
0: Oh, absolutely. I think I think that's it's underappreciated despite its outrageousness. I think that there is uh, a quality to the to the stunt work in that film that uh, people don't see because it's, I think, below that level of silliness.
1: You know, I, here's the big question. In your, in your own words, I mean, you've touched upon it. Why is this IFD or Godfrey Ho cut and paste experience, if you will, so much fun for you? because that's
0: amazing it's unlike anything that you've ever seen before you know, people in uh with mustaches and candy colored ninja suits and and uh and um uh camouflage ninja suits fighting with umbrellas and uh and swords that appear and disappear and teleporting and incredible cheapness and uh, and seeing how something if you know what's going on is repurposed to make something else
1: indeed indeed i i, I like when they fought at the playgrounds and i think you uh, did, didn't you have an end fight or two in ninja venom mission 4 set at the uh, playground or gym gym equipment yes absolutely you
0: you can't you can't do a Godfrey Ho, uh ifd homage without it
1: <laughs> and then and uh, I love in some movies they they had secret formula plots you know the secret formula I have to get that from the bad guy blah 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 and for some reason the secret formula was on a VHS sometimes and they they put that in a tree you know we're gonna have a fight first and then I can grab the VHS formula <laughs> it's like what VHS formula how does that work well the end you know so that was also great too these movies didn't linger they were almost always 90 minutes precisely if not shorter and as soon as the movie was done the final you know the villain is dead or even before the final strike the end well, well and and
0: Specifically, what they would do is they would once the the original movie, once the conflict resolution is over, whether or not it's the end of that film or not, they'll cut cut away from that as quickly as possible. Then have the big final ninja fight. And what we, we, Which is not in,
1: really big; it's often over in one two minutes. <laughs> yes, I'm sorry. The the,
0: the largest one of the, of the many. Yes, they have that fight, and it, like clockwork, what happens is the the villain is dead, and then the hero walks off. And it become it became for me and uh, and friends of mine, a game we would bet and see if the end popped up before or after the hero
1: managed to walk out of the frame. That's a great game, a great drinking game too. For even if, oh well, it doesn't last, last very long, and, and, unless you watch 10 movies, I suppose. Then, then it's a, an extensive drinking game, I suppose. We've, we've, we've done that. Uh, we, we, we've watched 10, 10 of those almost in
0: a row. But uh, right. uh, uh, there are many drinking games that you can make out of IFT films. Absolutely. As soon as they
1: say ninja instead of ninja, drink. Which is every time they say yeah. it. Or when they pronounce boss, bass. Bass! <laughs> yeah. Yes. Uh, but when ninjas had done their thing. They changed, uh, they found new trends, IFT, as businessmen should do, as companies should do. And when we approached the end of the 80s, uh, the kickboxing trend kicked in. Literally, Jean Claude Van Damme burst onto the scene. Bloodsport, kickboxer. That's what they tapped into, even briefly, superhero movies. They did uh, two movies um, about their own superhero called Catman.
0: <laughs> and that's not a typo, That's that's for real.
1: They do a um, an origin story. Jonathan Isgar uh, plays Catman. You can see Jonathan in Once Upon a Time in China. He plays um, um, yeah, it's yeah, a fairly prominent role in Once Upon a Time in China as a Westerner. Um, just great inept fun combined with some boring Thai movie. Uh, but well, I'm going to cover that movie with, uh, for the, for this show because the Catman movies are are magic and the posters are so bursting with energy and action, like IFD posters usually did, but can't match the that energy and action on screen, because um, no movie can. I think, you know, the skyscrapers, the helicopters, the tanks, and catman bursting out of, uh, at you. You can't match that if you're IFD, and nor nor should you.
0: <laughs> that, I mean, that's that's really you know the the that theme of overpromising, writing checks that they could not possibly deliver on their posters um was the hallmark, helicopters exploding and so forth. And that was that was something we also tried to capture uh when we did Ninja the Mission Force.
1: Yeah, your your poster art certainly was a great uh, homage to uh, to that. I remember the uh, season one uh, poster art uh, because they, that had both mixture. Well, it was space was in there as well. You literally had, you know, I think, you, uh, you echoed the space story, if you will, on the poster.
0: Yes, space and dinosaurs. And what I would do is I would tell, uh, I would tell uh, the artist Jeff Nitzberg, uh, "Okay, we're doing episodes that." Uh, feature these things. I'd like to kind of feature something along these lines, but not give him specifics about what was going to be in the episode. I wanted him to make the most awesome version of Ninja Cowboys or a ninja fighting a dinosaur uh, or ninjas in space that he could possibly make. We knew that you know we're not going to deliver on that and, and our audience knew we weren't going to deliver on that either because the whole idea was that we're doing this in the schlockiest possible way. Um, but uh, to have as much fun as we could on the posters, and I and, and I suspect, you know, with a little bit more straight face, they were doing that in the IFD offices. You know,
1: we want ninjas and tanks and they're great works of art. That's the thing; those posters are great works of art. So because they, oh my they, gosh, it, yes. it's not it's not bad artistry; they're not bad paintings. They're just overpromising and putting them on the film market. It's like buy our movie, like, fuck yeah, I'm gonna buy that movie. It looks great.
0: Their 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 resident artist was someone by the name of Eagle Leung. Is it was it something along those lines?
1: I remember their name. Um, the person might have been called Leung something indeed, but if it was Eagle or or Harry.
0: Harry, yeah, because uh, it, it, they're they're all. Uh, they're most of them are signed, I believe. And mm-hmm. uh, actually, speaking of the VHSs, there were a few that were released by. Oh, I don't know. They had, they had a lowercase i as their logo, and I don't remember what they are offhand. But, yeah, uh, the they, they released some of the most gorgeous, shiny, uh, like printed on silver cardboard versions of uh, the artwork for the VHS releases. And, uh, there are a few out there that you can find that are just spectacular looking.
1: Oh, yeah. Uh, Ninja of a Terminator art is, uh, I've only seen, um, the mostly widely available art is the more crappier one, which uh, is just Richard and like, pasted. Mid, you know, into the poster it's kind of mid air, hovering over Hong Kong. It doesn't make sense at all. Uh, but but I'm sure there was a better poster out there for it originally.
0: There w- there wasn't. The thing was that uh, during the 1980s, when they were released, they got this terrific poster artwork. But what happened was somewhere in the 2000s, I guess when IFD was putting together its website, they decided all these posters are old hat. We need some new modern posters, and got the uh, cheapest person they could find. Um, probably uh, the janitor and had him do the world's most photoshopped posters for every single one of their films. And they're just I mean, they are as cut and paste as the films
1: themselves, which is an absolute shame. Oh, yeah. It's not fun. Uh, at all, it, it it's not like you can. Uh, it works with the movie. No, it doesn't. <laughs> you know, it didn't work with the movie before, but it was better. You know, it was a piece of art. But uh, um, but, but uh, it's been a joy as a collector though uh, during the last few years. To uh, well, well, really, for many years you could access these movies easily, but now it's for a collector like myself. I'm uh, you can find them in even more deluxe form. You, can, you I want my crap in, in better quality, and um, if I can find it, I kind of will, and I even pay a little bit extra for it. So i sought out um, widescreen versions of these movies and FilmOx movies from Japan, from Greece, from France, from Germany, all countries that, uh, that uh, took on these uh, home video deals, both for the movies that they distributed uh, complete, the Taiwanese movies, but uh, dubbed in English, uh, but also the ninja stuff, because widescreen does matter. Even the shot of Richard Harrison and the Garfield phone needs to be in widescreen. And I'm, I'm not being funny. It, it is funny, but I'm not being funny. It's uh, It makes a difference seeing, uh, seeing that uh, embarrassing footage. It's true. No, it's absolutely true. So finally, again, on Richard Harrison, we, we've we cleared out some rumors and hopefully um, uh, done it effectively. And uh, one aspect that's always up for debate by the different sides is what exactly happened when Richard Harrison got on the contract, under contract at IFD. Uh, used or abused or aware of the practices with his footage, um, because what they did, they shot some footage uh, with him uh, and used it for a lot more movies than he was contracted for. Uh, the, thi- the thing is, Rich's story was always, I was there to shoot one movie and they used it for however many they did, like 15 or 20. I can never buy that story. It's a lie. Because if you watch the movies, clearly hairstyle is different. His facial hair is gone at one point. He's way energetic in some movies and just dead in the face in other movies. And they were so... Even his kind of action footage, his standard standardized uh, plot template kind of uh, footage that he shot, even that is so wildly different that it could have been for one movie, you know. And uh, I think some actors have said that. Uh, I think Mike Abbott has said that he thinks uh, Richard was in Hong Kong. Maybe um, did two or three stints, if you will, in Hong Kong.
0: It was. It was two. He he came out there twice, and I've I've uh, heard and read this from uh, multiple sources that. There, there were basically two blocks of time that he came out and uh, and shot a bunch of footage now, whether he believed that he was only doing a few movies and was it was stretched out to uh ten or fifteen I mean you know it's it's believable to a certain extent, considering the uh, minuscule degree to which he is in um, a handful of the films yeah but there is simply no way that he believed that he was only in one film, and I think that that particular Statement is more sour grapes than reality.
1: I mean, he is a victim per definition. He was kind of fucked over, but uh, he tries to paint himself as a bit more of a victim than he actually was, you know, and uh, less aware than he actually was. Um, but uh, they did kind of use and abuse this footage, uh, reused it, uh, reused the Garfield phone footage, and as you said, put him into certain movies uh, just to get him on the poster. Uh, there's a movie called uh, Golden Ninja Warrior uh, that has a special appearance by Richard Harrison, and it features about 30 seconds from the ending of Ninja Terminator. And then the rest of the movie has is the original Taiwanese movie. It's not even a cut and paste movie after that point.
0: That's right. And he's uh, in about the same amount of Ninja Champion where he is on the phone with Bruce Barron for, I believe, literally two shots, maybe three shots. Yep. And that is it. On the Garfield phone. On, on the Garfield phone and you know i I, I don't mean to paint Richard Harrison as uh, a total uh, liar I know that he oh, was no. uh, he was poorly treated uh, to a certain degree while he was out there he witnessed some uh, horrible stuff um, but uh, when it comes to kind of working out the truth of what actually happened uh, and how this stuff was constructed um, it's really important to uh, kind of take everything with a grain of salt and Use a bunch of different uh, different versions of, of the story to try to find out what really happened.
1: And it also makes sense now that we have so much information from elsewhere, from other back. you know, a picture starts to make sense now. And uh, and uh, again, his appearance is so wildly different in these uh, movies, and his energy level is uh, wildly different in some movies. Uh, the earlier stuff, that uh, majestic Thunderbolt in Thunderbolt, if you have, if you will. You, you can see Richard is kind of enjoying himself. He plays, uh, even at one point or two, plays a bad guy. And uh, then, slowly but surely, as when we come around to Ninja Commandments, you can see that uh, he's kind of dead in the face by that point. Uh, yeah, I mean, that, that that's not something I laugh at. I can just see that the air kind of uh, went out of the balloon uh, at some point. And, and he became aware, probably. It's probably due to that that he, he was aware that I know what they're doing and I'm out soon at least so that's richard let's uh, do a break we've done the history hopefully in a fairly clear manner and let's talk one of the cut and paste movies well, kind of in my opinion one of my favorite of their productions their products and it's a ninja terminator from 1986 and that'll be our uh, movie of this episode so uh we'll take a short musical break we are featuring some music from ninja terminator that's probably stolen from somewhere and uh, that's what you hear in the break so we'll be right back Welcome back in this episode. We'll focus on Ninja Terminator. I find it hard to not say the titles in the same manner as the IFD Trailer Man voices did. It was always very Ninja Terminator Inferno Thunderbolt. The Ninja Squad. And they repeated the titles over and over again. And uh, God damn it, where did they come up with the various descriptions or taglines of what was going on in the movie? You know, if you listen to them, they tell you, in a deadly world, da, 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 but it's more wacky and mad than that. It's just, uh, it's like almost like, like a random word generator when you listen to them. What did they just say?
0: Yeah, it, it's, it's, uh, adjective noun and adjective noun meet in a world where adjective noun and yes. adjective <laughs> noun are around. Uh, it's, you know, the, the first, what was it? It might have been the Ninja the Protector one. Um, but I realized that, um, part of it comes from the trailer to Revenge of the Ninja. And that was actually the first trailer that I can recall that pulls the, only a ninja can defeat a ninja. I believe that it's from that. And there's a couple other sort of descriptive bits that find their way into the IFD trailers. And I, I think that they must have been looking really closely, not just at the at the films themselves, but at the marketing of the canon films.
1: Makes sense. I mean, and that's the kind of starting point as we talked of like what the, what the impact that canon had. With their uh, with their range, if you will, that uh, it makes total sense. Makes total sense. Uh, it's the same from an Ninja Terminator trailer. I don't remember offhand now, but uh, I'll, I'll tell you this: I have a stupid idea for whenever I write the show posts for these uh, shows, uh, the show descriptions. I'm not gonna do describe in short what you're gonna hear. I'm gonna use the some of the uh, tags, the descriptions from the trailers to just confuse. I love it. Yeah, I like that idea, too. It amuses me, and it starts with me, you know, if I can make myself laugh, then that's uh, that's half the battle, though. Uh, but anyway, Ninja Terminator, directed by Godfrey Ho, 1986 is the copyright, and it's... Um, the important thing for this series, too, is to single out, if possible, the original movies that IFT acquired, re-edited, inserted Richard Harrison into, and made a new movie out of and in this case it's a 1984 south korean production with a title that's translated as it's not the export title uninvited guest of star Ferry. possibly no actual export title was ever determined for this one It possibly never played outside of korea this is the the most international exposure this south korean movie has and it stars wang Jiang li and it was bought and re-edited into a Richard Harrison vehicle. Uh, it also co-stars Philip Kofay, uh, quite a famous uh, action performer in Hong Kong movies. You can see him in The Loot and The Challenger and uh, a Diagram Pole Fighter versus Gordon Liu, one of the very best on-screen uh, fights ever in a movie. It features uh, Fei versus uh, Gordon Liu. And you also get a, an appearance by Kong Do uh, right at the top of the movie. And both of those guys, Fei and Kong Do, both appeared... In IFD movies and in uh, filmock movies, they uh, kind of uh, jump back and forth. And it's funny, at least in one movie at filmock, I think it's uh, Tough Ninja, The Shadow Warrior. Philip Kofey is in the Source movie. It's a Hong Kong movie. And he shot new footage as his character from the Hong Kong movie.
0: Oh my gosh, you're kidding.
1: That's terrific.
0: That's one I haven't seen, but now I'm dying to.
1: Yeah, he has a mustache in the original movie. It's called Unreal Dream, the original movie. And... um, it's, uh, I mean, it's convincing enough. It's called It's not that older, but it's clear that that isn't quite the same, though. <laughs> but I like it. It's, it's great. Um, originally, uh, the uninvited guest of Starfairy was directed by frequent Korean martial arts and action director Kim Seo hyun uh, He pops up uh, quite frequently when you encounter Korean movies. Um, and he made a really fine movie that IFD bought once upon a time, I was Asia. At one point, but later they had Prince saying IFD and it was called Secret Ninja Roaring Tiger. Unfortunately, that is credited to Godfrey Ho only, so not um, not a Westernized version version of Kim's uh, real name. Uh, But he's uh, actually a very good director of martial arts action, whether it's a period or uh, modern. And I think. this movie is a um, good case for that. It's uh, quite good. But obviously, as I said, being a cut-and-paste movie, Ninja Terminator merely went to Godfrey Ho in terms of uh, directing credit. Uh, they I uh, have to respect the original directors when it comes to presenting the full movies, but various Taiwanese movies, like uh, Wolf and Ninja had um, uh, Pearl Chung's uh, uh, name still attached to the movie, and uh, Fury and Red had the original director, Richard Chen's name still attached to the movie. So... Uh, Because they were westernized already, I suppose. But uh, that that was a sign of respect towards the original filmmakers. But when the cut-and-paste thing happened, then uh, not so much. You know, it's it's ours now. We made it.
0: it. And it's a completely new film,
1: right? It, it is a new film, so, so obviously it, it makes a little bit more sense, and they, they, they have a they have a strong case, and they bought it. They, they can do whatever the, whatever the hell the way they want with it, and they did. The plot that sounds way more epic that's on screen than what's on screen, akin to the posters, if you will. But uh, that's okay, and it's taken from my review of the film. Uh, Three members uh, of the Golden Ninja Empire, played by Richard Harrison, he plays Harry, also there's a guy called Jonathan Watts, whose name I'm forgetting, and uh, they break free from the Golden Ninja Empire and each steal a part of the coveted Golden Ninja Warrior statue that, when combined, gives the carrier a chance to reach supreme ninja spirit. I told you it was more epic than it actually is. For instance, they can strike their arms and bodies uh, with a sword and not get hurt uh, when they have channeled their spirits. But they're now the target of their former master. And uh, heading after them is uh, working for that former master, is Philip Coase's character. And uh, so that's the IFT plot. And we bring in the uninvited guest of the Star Ferry, Harry, Richard Harrison's Harry, employs Jaguar Wong, played by Jack Lam, A.K.A. Barry Lam, A.K.A. Lam Chi Fu, which is either a um, Korean actor or possibly Taiwanese, a Hong Kong—I'm not too sure—and uh, Jaguar is asking for trouble at every corner in the hu- in his hunt for one of the missing pieces of the statue, while also taking on a crime syndicate headed by Tiger, played by Snake and Eagle Shadows and Drunken Masters Wang Jiangli in a blonde wig. We um, and that's one of the eternal mysteries of cinema, world cinema. Why the why the blonde wig? And we'll, we'll get to that later. So, but it's great. Uh, you you don't really tell Wang Li why the blonde wig if you want to survive afterwards because he's danger on two legs. You know, so uh, I'm I'm not questioning it at all. He carries it off quite well. Normally we do these brief like or dislike opinions at the top of the discussion, but. The IFD experience doesn't quite call for that. As if you, because if you want to grade the movies, n- no movie that we are going to cover is truly good. They're not four-star movies, but... but, 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 but the IFD experience is fun. You know, it's, uh, That's kind of the verdict for each movie. Is it fun? Is it entertaining? Or is it totally intolerable and boring? Uh, because the IFD experience can be boring and slow and standard you know some cut and paste efforts just reeked of. let's just shoot another one onto the market and not spend too much on our one two three day shoot if you will and that was a commercial way too Uh, but it was more fun when the movies were backed up as they went onto the market with uh, madness you know wacky madness and the ninja terminator in my mind is one of the fun ones that ifd provided the market with i'm very glad that they did and um it's still good fun, and that's why I picked it for the first episode. So, but based on that, do you think that Ninja Terminator is one of the better ones, more fun ones uh, that you want? Would you recommend it to a new viewer that was possibly curious about what the IFT experience is like?
0: What are you kidding? Of course, <laughs> it's it's spectacular. Uh, you have uh, a mess of ninja fights. You have a bunch of um, awesome fights in the original Korean film. You have a robot delivering a VHS tape threat uh, to uh, various ninjas, saying, "Ninja uh, uh, traitor! You have three days <laughs> to return the golden ninja warrior to our master." Uh, it's it's glorious. It's got it's got uh, it's got another robot delivering a tape that features footage from Ninja Thunderbolt. Yes.
1: <laughs> Why we recognize this? It's like a, it's meta all of a sudden. It's glorious because the source movie holds up. It's a it's a fun action movie. It brought quality and is um, but it's not the only thing that brought quality. I think the Godfrey Ho Ninja action footage is really where the fun is too. And I I'm sure I'm blanking on some examples now but for just for the sake of discussion, I think this is a, some some of the best action choreography that you can ever see in an IFD movie. It's pretty solid across the board. Well, what do you think?
0: Yes, absolutely. There's no question. And, and a really uh, nice uh, vista for the final fight scene on these uh, cliffs.
1: Yeah, a shot out in the new territories, presumably, and not at a playground or any uh, <laughs> any like uh, softcore place like that. And, and, and the Korean movie obviously has a great um, finale at a beach and what have you. So I, I call all of this, you know, creativity coming from Godfrey Ho. Oh, there's some there's some energy here. You may argue that this is not creativity, this is shit. But there is energy here in the mini-shoot needed to create Ninja Terminator. And uh, you know, I, I can see, having seen so many of these, that Ninja Terminator is one that tries a lot more, takes the time to kind of uh, set up the movie and not do the standard cut-and-paste technique just to shoot another movie out uh, onto the craving market uh, because there's a long setup, a fairly long setup. So it starts in Japan, so to say. Um, it's a room, hotel room in Hong Kong, obviously. A living room. Yeah, but uh, we get uh, kind of even the demonstration of ninjutsu that isn't about, you know, teleporting and disappearing in smoke, you know, and uh, kind of, I don't know, an origin story or explanation of the Golden Ninja Warrior uh, because there's no other movie that kind of makes it, uh, makes the plot so involved in terms of gotta have all the pieces for the Golden Ninja Warrior. After a while they just kind of had it there and didn't care too much about it. But here it's like it's Citizen Kane in terms of how they portray the Golden Ninja Warrior. The flimsy uh, prop that is the Golden Ninja Warrior. Uh, So I really, really like um, that Opening and it's an oral assault during this scene as well of oxygen Jean-Michel Jarre's oxygen style sounds and probably stolen music from all over the place, but it it kind of gets you uh, going, you know. This fairly long reel of the Golden Ninja Empire's lair and then the Hong Kong style acrobatic action that is uh, pretty good actually. It's um, it, yeah, it, I really enjoyed this opening. Do, do you feel that? having seen a fair amount of these as well, that this is doing things a little bit, a bit different and a bit more energetic than usually.
0: Yes. Well, it's, it's more energetic. It's, um, it just has greater scope despite the fact that they really kind of start out in a living room. Um, because you have, I, I say a living room, it's a living room where they, they threw a really, uh, they threw a, a light with a really strong red gel uh, against the wall. And on the other side, a light with a really strong blue gel yep. and they have this amazing Asian paper lantern that has a ninja stenciled on it <laughs> That is, <laughs> I, would, I would pay money for. Um, also, uh, let it be said that uh, I would pay just about any amount of money for a replica of the Golden Ninja Warrior uh, prop itself.
1: I, I know my, uh, my friend Mike Leder actually worked at IFD uh, later on in uh, their uh, sort of life has one. Uh, there they they were a few at the IFD offices and he has one. And, and it's and it's as, it's as flimsy as it looks at the film.
0: Oh my gosh. I I desperately want one of those. Anyway, I, but it's amazing. It's this little like ninja goblin that is doing its very best impression of Grumpy Cat.
1: <laughs> yeah, you're right. It, because, yeah, it's trying to look intimidating, obviously, and they're kind of mean and hardcore. But it's, I mean, if it has That's- the powers, then sure, but it, looks kind of crap it still looks like it's missing a piece because it's all it's just a torso of the thing even when assembled, assemble, assemble is just a half a torso
0: and the idea is that you put all three together and then you're like invincible except that uh, it seems as if you have an invincible torso so if you just stab him in the leg then you know you can become the ultimate ninja uh, instead
1: but you're right. Like you know, they never really did went to the, for the lower body; they just kept at it at the upper body, if you will. And, but even plots like that, you don't see in many subsequent I.T. movies, where the opponent is uh, super invincible and all of that. They just uh, fight and one and one of the guys die after 20 seconds of fighting, and uh, the end. Absolutely. So, so it kind of devolved almost. Uh, one nerdy detail that you have to remember for this movie: uh, one thing that I.T. had not come up with yet, apparently. Maybe it took a, one or two movies more until they come up with came up with a piece of genius. There's no ninja headbands on the ninjas in this movie. Oh, my gosh, you're right. Yeah. So, But that would be standard later. And it's genius in its – we know what that thing is. Just because they're red doesn't mean we're confused. What are they and what are their skills? So someone took it upon themselves to buy a bunch of – headbands with symbols on it including uh, a symbol of a ninja that also says ninja on it and that's just 20 percent entertainment right there when you watch these movies
0: it's it's it became iconic for the ifd films if you've ever stumbled upon them online and then heard people talk about them uh, they are these ninja headbands that say ninja on them usually with a little ninja stencil in between uh, they they were ubiquitous and the thing is that there wasn't just one kind. There were lots of them and I, I wouldn't be surprised with the ninja craze that they, a bunch of people made ninja headbands that said ninja on them and sometimes had ninja written out in um, in, in Japanese characters as well.
1: Did you make yours
0: for Ninja Indian
1: Mission Force, or did you buy yours?
0: I, I bought them. Actually, no, I take it back. We, we made a bunch of them for the first season, uh, but I bought one that was identical to uh, one of the ones that was frequently in the IFD films. In season two, I think I went to all we, – we bought all of them, and uh, the vast majority of them were ones that you could see in – uh the ifd films
1: how do i mean we've said that the the illusion that these this is one movie is not a very like well accomplished uh, well executed illusion but you know on its own terms how do you think if uh merges and kind of transitions from their footage to the star footage um in this one um
0: you know, I think it, they do a really good job with this one, uh, especially compared to some of their other works. You do get the telephone scenes, but then um, you also get some really rather creative sequences where a ridiculous uh, little walking robot that is actually a Transformers uh toy um, but before, before they were Transformers it was one of the original two things that became Transformers but in any event walks in with this VHS tape that has footage from the film that Richard Harrison is watching uh, of this character who's being tortured uh, because this is sort of her ransom tape and so there are lots of little things that help to hold together as well as having the dub job on the original film mentioned the Golden Ninja Warrior frequently that I think Holds it together a little more strongly than subsequent efforts.
1: You know, even uh, the first transition to the star fairy footage after the character of uh, Tamashi, the third ninja that breaks out, is killed. You see a footage of him on a gravestone. That's IFD's last piece of footage that cuts to a, a scene from Star Ferry where two characters are uh, grieving at a grave, and that's Tamashi. And they talk of you know what happened to him. Was he involved in something suspicious? They found a piece of metal on him, and that's not too bad in terms of transitioning. I think that uh, works uh, perfectly fine.
0: No, actually, I wanted to ask you if if you've seen the original film, what
1: I have who, not, no.
0: Okay, I was I'm curious whose grave that they're at uh, in the
1: actual movie yeah sometimes you can actually I- ifd didn't restructure the plots a whole lot from the original movies So you can kind of wreck i only know that because i've seen some of the original movies and see that okay ifd just wrote the same script only added ninja here and there but uh, it looks like the star Fairy footage might be quite retooled to a to a degree i mean it's a basic movie uh too it's not high drama or anything i mean uh, the wang jung lee drug syndicate i'm sure is a drug syndicate in the original movie and uh, jaguar wong is this uh cop who's working on his own rather than working with harry the action h- holds up so well in the original and i'm i'm, I'm not sure because i don't have the original credits if there were was any hong kong talent on this uh working as action directors so and would have your because uh, they often did went to Korea and participated in productions over there as well. And vice versa, Wang jung Lee certainly was in Hong Kong movies. But my theory is I wouldn't be surprised if Wang Jung-li was the action director, as a matter of fact, on the movie. Having gained so much experience working for Yoon Wu ping Jackie Chan, and even having directed Hitman in the Hand of Buddha himself. So, um it's so, because it certainly is a Hong Kong feel to, to the action. It's not Koreans trying to approximate and approximate badly or anything. It's a very recognizably Hong Kong style and also very brutal and intense, which I like. It's not, um, balletic and uh, operatic and, uh, what have you.
0: No, I mean, I mean, basically, I think you could probably sum up the plot of the original Korean film, Thusly. Jaguar Wong goes around kicking everybody
1: with a smirk on his face and being a bit of a, a smartass, but uh, he has uh, the chops to back it up. I mean, he, he's cool. He's cool. And Jack Lamb really, you know, it's not a James Bond character or anything, but he comes at everything with this invincibility. I got it, you know, and he even forces himself on at least one woman which is certainly something James Bond would do as well. Uh, but he's cool. I mean, he, he's a dork in other movies. I've seen him in other movies. This one, the cool, it's so elevated. Lam Chifo, uh, Jack Lam or Barry Lam, just a really memorable presence in the movie. They, they, they really t- t- tapped into something in terms of his uh, presence here. Even though it's called Jaguar, I think that's, for once, it's not a silly name. It kind of works. It kind of kicks ass. Well, it's also a car. I think that helps. <laughs> exactly. So something that isn't uh, very hardcore is obviously uh, there's various uh, ninjutsu demos as the movie goes along. I say this with um, with heart and passion, and I think Godfrey Ho they were having fun, but they aren't selling ninjutsu as something hardcore and tough when Richard Harrison, twice, they repeat the footage, is slicing up a melon, to showcase his skirps. Which kills
0: me, actually, because in the later scene, um, the other Caucasian ninja uh, is sitting down to eat a piece of watermelon. And I'm thinking, did he steal that from when Richard Harrison's last <laughs> <story>? Ooh,
1: watermelon. <laughs> so, I mean, it's it's this like, I think that we're having fun. Um, trying to like, okay, we can demo the ninjutsu to a degree, but... Let's just slice up a watermelon. That'll be fun. And we'll rig up some, uh, you know, fishing wire attached to it, and just pull it apart. After which, it has uh, mimed slicing it. You know, and uh, you know, what do you think? Do you think they were aiming for pure fun, or or do you think they were serious in some extent, in some regards?
0: I, you know, I can't I can't imagine that they were especially serious. There is, however, the the demo with um again the, uh, is it Paul or uh, I can't remember. Anyway, the again the other uh, Caucasian guy uh does a really cool fire spinning like swinging around these ropes or or uh bars with fire at the end and at night and it's like it's a cool carnival kind of looking thing and it looks pretty awesome it's not especially ninja but
1: they repeated that uh, twice as well so godfrey ho and the editors clearly were kind of fond of the melon and the carnival aspect a good clip deserves a second look Absolutely. I agree. I agree. I don't know if they, in the long run, think it was fun to reuse the Garfield phone footage. I think the idea was that we have neutral footage here of Richard Harrison on the phone. You know, maybe it was a fun idea at the beginning to do that. But as they reused it, it just uh, it sticks out like a sore thumb that is, uh doesn't do them any favors. But having said that, I come around to the fact that, boy, is it fun that uh, neutral footage has a Garfield phone in it and in it and listeners the eighties eighties households all didn't have a Garfield phone that wasn't the thing that was not Paws ink's uh grip on the world or anything It's just uh, wow why did they? but they did
0: I, I don't know i think i think that that was a very straight faced choice um that they thought yeah that's a, this is american this is this is, <laughs> this is this is this is a western phone sure he yeah. he's got this um I'm not I, – I doubt very much that they were thinking that, oh, here's a cute thing that they could have, especially the way they play it. It just ended up being something that was just roll on the floor funny when you see Richard Harrison and his serious face talking on a – Go to hell, Yeah, go to <laughs> Also, I hate Mondays.
1: Yes. <laughs> that would be funny. You, you know, someone should do a riff on that and dub that in just before – you know, he says go to hell, and just before he hangs up. Also, I hate Mondays. Click
0: or you know, maybe uh, pull some footage from the Garfield cartoon show and yeah, uh, yeah. and use that as, as what Richard Harrison's talking to. That would be fun.
1: I mean, they've already been raped by IFT so much. You know, pause Inc. But the clear, but, but the Jim Davison company didn't uh, go under. Thankfully, thanks to this. Because uh, yes, go.
0: Yeah. Thank, thank goodness. I I did. Um, uh, I had to buy a Garfield phone because of that film. And so I, I went on eBay and, and bought the exact same phone.
1: I, I like going back to Jack Lam a little bit because the movie can, after a while, it really becomes like two scenes star fairy, one scene ninja, one scene star fairy, one scene ninja, you know, Jack Lam kicking ass ninja, Jack Lam kicking more ass ninja. He is a good action performer and it's such a good build up towards the end because one Lee only has one action scene and it's versus Jack Lam. And I, uh, I think the Korean director really, uh, Kim Si Hyun, really did a smart thing by building up Jack Lan's kicking skills as well versus Wang Jiang li because it gets us to a very memorable end fight, a real good end fight between the two that uh, is a grand ending for the movie, but it is an I.D. movie, so obviously there is more after that. But uh, I really like him, uh, and uh, that ending fight. Uh, How do you feel about that? Do you have any notes on the uh, beach? Fight, if you will. There's a lot of
0: really terrific choreography, but from a dramatic point of view, it is uh, needlessly long. It, it gets a little bit... You get kind of inured to it after a while, at least I found that I did, and uh, I found that the almost video game-like method of uh, the villain's defeat was maybe more silly than the rest of the film yeah. would make yeah. you expect. It,
1: it, it's, I mean, uh, we, it's not you know, seven usual suspect spoilers we're bringing here. I mean, uh, Wang Li gets stuck in the sand, which, but it doesn't appear to be quicksand. The funnier explanation that tickles me is that Wang Li is so powerful as he uh, lands that he uh, obviously uh, ruptures the earth, or sand in this case, and gets stuck. (laughs) You know, he has no control of his powers. And and that's
0: the thing. You see see how he gets his feet kind of stuck in the sand, and uh, Jack Lamb's like, huh? and then sees it again as he manages to jump down and get himself stuck a little bit further, and he's like, aha, I have a plan. And so it's it's just like a boss fight in a video game. Yeah. You're like, I, I see I see the pattern, I have to do this, and then I can get off some hits on him.
1: The, 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 you touched upon the fact that it runs too long, and I think my theory is that uh, the Korean movie, in an overall sense, because it, uh, it sands about 10 or 15 minutes because of, um, um, because IFD's footage is that long, I think it benefits from being tightened, and merged because I, I can very much believe there are dead stretches of the Korean movie you know bad drama bad melodrama, possibly and then occasionally the action kicks in but we get a better better accomplished stream of action thrown at us that makes it uh, it's great it kind of um, it kind of becomes elevated in my mind. Uh, I, I might be wrong, but it just feels like uh, it's it's a 95 minute ori- movie originally that possibly could have ra- uh, had 15 minutes taken out of it, um, you know, uh, on its own and presented that way. Wang Jiang blonde wig, I mean, it has to be addressed. I have no theory what they were going for there. Maybe it's explained in the original movie, but he takes it off as it's some kind of reveal. Like, oh my god, it's you! But Jack Lam never really, like, reacts that way either. So I have no idea what I went with because he doesn't really change. It's, it's Wang Jiang Li, a dangerous, dangerous fucker, regardless of a blonde wig or not. So it's not like his image transforms when it's on, when it's off. It's just Wang Jiang Li, how do we go?
0: Perhaps it's uh, the reveal is simply, uh, all right, it's about to get serious. Like, I'm taking off my jacket. <laughs> <It's> serious time. <laughs>
1: Yeah, he does take it off, off his jacket as well, so, uh, who knows. It's, it's a great memorable image. A lot of people attach to that and remember that, even though they might not like Ninja Terminator as a whole, but, um, good on the Korean, uh, Korean, uh, director center. Uh, not to do like, uh, explain the entire movie, but it deserves to be mentioned that when IFD were doing things a bit more differently, a bit more extensively, and the action endings after a while, as the 80s went on, were really standardized, but their action ending shot out in the new territories uh, is a two-on-one ending, and that was a rare concept. It's uh, Jonathan Watson, Richard Harrison versus Philip Coe, of the stuntman, obviously, um, for the majority of the time. And for what it is, it's still a good little action scene with good flow and good choreography. And uh, it stands out as a, you know, it's the ninja cut and paste technique in its infancy at IFD and therefore more energetic and a bit more extensive and epic coming from them. And two, three years later, it would not feel as epic anymore. And I really like it because of that.
0: Well, I think you put it perfectly. I, I have exactly the same feelings.
1: And, and, and it ends on, it is one of the most memorable endings at an, uh, during an I D movie for me. Uh, after Philip Kofei is defeated, he, uh, he, uh, he blows himself up. He's a suicide ninja. And Richard Harrison is standing there in the frame with the, with the Golden Ninja Warrior. Kofei goes, kablooey, and he turns around. Oh, you know, it's not a shock to him that the guy blew himself up in the back. It's, he just turns little, casually. And kind of, well, he's gone. <laughs> the end
0: after after he is defeated, yeah uh, he says to Richard Harrison, "You know, I'm shamed you must kill me." And uh, Harrison says, no, there was there would be no purpose to your death and just walks off and then baddies like i'm I guess I'm just gonna have to take care of this myself. does a couple of hand movements and explodes.
1: And not in a different direction he goes up in the air too. Yeah. literally like almost uh, like a rocket, you know, yes. Which is um, a better image, but uh, the fact that Harrison just turns casually, rather than being uh, frightened by the explosion, it's just uh, magic. And the end card appears right on top of that, so we don't even get to kind of, uh, you know, take that in. It's like, whoa, whoa oh, it's over. Rewind. And uh, it's it's cool. It's great. I mean, it's uh, you'll know, I guess, new viewers, if you're into the IFT experience or not, off Ninja Terminator. Because it just tickles you. Then explore, you know. Uh, if this doesn't tickle you, then I don't recommend going further. To be honest, uh, has that been an experience with your friends? Like, uh, check this out, uh, and they've kind of said, what, "What the hell is this?" and walked away, or how how has it played, as a matter of fact?
0: I try, I try to read my uh, my friends as to whether whether or not they're going to enjoy an IFD film. But if I think that they are, the Ninja Terminator is usually the first one mm-hmm. uh, that, I, that I go to because it really gives you uh, a very condensed IFD experience. If I find that uh, it's, it's either that or it's um, uh, Ninja Silent Assassin, which has like two other ni- names, Black Ninja and um, Ninja, Ninja Operation something, something, something. Yeah,
1: Ninja Operation Knight and Warrior, I believe.
0: It really inverts the Godfrey Ho formula um, a little bit by having the majority of the footage be original IFD footage and only a minority of the footage be stuff from the original film. And I discovered that rather rather late in my searches for uh, IFD material, and so it was a little bit of a mind-blowing experience to see so much new white guys in ninja suits footage.
1: It's really cool. I I I I like that they um they essentially did half of half a movie on their own and or two thirds of the movie on their own and kind of just let the Taiwan movie run throughout the entirety after that. There was not a lot of back and forth, which was fun. It's like it keeps going, it keeps going. Richard Harrison is still in it. The black ninja, Alphonse Benny, uh which I believe was an African gentleman. Mm-hmm. Because he, he's the black ninja of it. Uh, uh, it just keeps going and going, and this is cool. Like, uh, it's not great in terms of, you know, filmmaking or anything, but it's cool when they, when they shot so much themselves. I mean, the best example of that, uh, as the series runs, I mean, I, I must tackle it. The best example of all of this is over at Mock when they did Robo Vampire, which, you know, robo-vampire there you go you know Uh, and i don't know 70 or 80 percent of the movie is Phil Mark's own madness their own hopping vampires their own robo-warrior the flimsy robo-warrior and just a minute part of it is the original boring thai movie standard action movie from thailand and it's just magic yes and uh, a robo-vampire, even the, the kind of, not a sequel, but he appeared, robo-warrior appears in it as well. That's what we call The Vampire is Alive. Also, at Filmark, also, almost all of their own stuff, they were making a horror movie. And it's glorious to see that, you know, obviously they picked up off the street, kind of a- actors appearing in it. getting a chance to be leads and just glorious to see it keep keeps on going and going and going. Oh, there's the time movie. I bring back the other one. Oh, it's back. And, you know, for 20 minutes this time, you know, it's great great stuff
0: With the the I think the, the one of the great things about um, ninja operation Knight and warrior was that what it was called um, is it, it that's a good one to see probably not first if you're if you are a fan of the IFD stuff because when you do see it later on it's like parade of the stars yeah where you discover oh my gosh it's got it, it looked like it wasn't going to have Richard Harrison, but it's got Richard Harrison and it's got Stuart Smith and it's got this guy and it's got this guy and it's got this guy I'm like oh it's it's like the big party one
1: yeah you you're, you're right i I will probably bring that in uh, for the series a bit later, but it's it's a must one and uh, it's actually available online and in a fine wide screen print and that, that that leads us into the availability section. We, we've we touched upon it already, but I these movies are available globally, you know, you can find them cheaply on discs and what have you, but uh, uh, not in great quality, but they're there. You know, double bill DVDs uh, of Ninja Terminator, Ninja Bell Protector or what have you. But Ninja Terminator has, um, has had that fate, too. It's been on cheap disc releases over the year, but years, but as the Internet has become more advanced, better versions have emerged and been shared. And what we watched was a custom version assembled using the full 235 widescreen version from French VHS that has the English audio on top of it. And that is viewable. It, it appeared on Torrent forums first, but that is now viewable for free on YouTube uh, because someone uploaded it and wanted the world to see it. So I'm, I'm glad that it took a step out of the Torrent forums because not all people have access to that. And became available on youtube so you can see it for free and i'm sure the original uploader has no cons about that otherwise he wouldn't have uploaded it
0: but if i I, I do say that if you are a fan of it there are some uh legit dvds of the film in full screen only unfortunately uh, that uh you know i highly recommend uh paying for to show people that uh there is still a market for IFT films
1: uh, absolutely i agree i agree and they, they all they are legit releases as far as i know a, a lot of these uh movies uh, even if they are on, on budget uh, dvds so um but but yeah there was joy i've seen it a couple of times uh, seeing ninja terminator this way i mean uh, this wide this type of wide wide screen frame means there will be a lot of missing and uh, it's uh, it's kind of cool even the even the worst crap deserves um, the original frame so um check the link in the show post if you want to see it this way and, and as that says uh, go to amazon or um or whatever site to ebay and uh, find um if you want to find uh, the original uh, disc and have it in your collection it's, it's not it's it's not a um, space waster not at all so that's uh, us uh, next episode uh and really my vision for the series um uh, is to keep it going as far as I can. And if I can get you on uh, a future episode or two, Ed, I would be delighted because you come at this with a great attitude. You're, you're into the IFT era, you're into the film era, so there's a lot to expand on, I think.
0: It would be a pleasure.
1: So as the series goes on, we, we obviously the main selling point is to do these types of movies, this kind of genre, but we will, for the next three episodes, touch on the kickboxing uh movies that they did the superhero movies that they did but uh, the next one though because um i don't want to leave a ninja section yet is to check when ifd mixed up genres in a contrasting way i.e they produced their own footage just straight-faced ninja action footage and put it together with a horror movie and a drama and what that is magic. I love it when IFT does that. And therefore, we'll be looking at Diamond Ninja Force and Ninja Commandments. Diamond Ninja Force is a horror movie, much with Ninja. And Ninja Commandments is a punishing melodrama. Punishing, as set over the course of 40 50 years. Ninja Commandments. You know, I, 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 I can't even speak coherently about it. It's, it's great. Richard Harrison is in it for 40 50 years in the movie as well. He doesn't age one bit, nor does anyone else. Only the characters in the Taiwanese movie. That uh, is a yeah, it's melodramatic, but it's a pretty good um, vehicle for a action performer Elsa Jung, who's been in a, in a fair few ninja movies herself. She's the lady of uh, Challenge of the Lady Ninja. She's just a red ninja, and that's one very sexy. So I, I recommend it. I think that's on YouTube as well. Filmark uh, had Challenge of the Lady Ninja and uh, released it with a dub only so it's um it's not a cut and paste movie so i recommend it uh, so that's what we are doing for episode two and so brief contact information before we sign off this has been the golden ninja podcast one on the podcast on fire network website podcast on fire.com you'll find this in the bonus episodes there email podcast on fire at google like us on facebook facebook.com forward slash pf network The discussion group is, uh, there's a link on that page or type in Podcast on Fire Network to reach that. Tweet us, twitter.com forward slash podcast on fire. My ninja reviews and the various other stuff on sogoodreviews.com and sleazykvideo.com and my tweets at twitter.com forward slash sogoodreviews. The Golden Ninja Podcast is on iTunes. Rate, subscribe, and if you have the time, please leave a written comment. That would very much be appreciated. And if you don't like downloading podcasts to your device, you can stream them via the application Stitcher. You can do that online, but also through the application available to your iPhone, iPad, or Android. So, uh, And search The Golden Ninja Podcast, and you should be able to find our latest show or shows and add us to your favorites. And finally, add your uh, plug for Neon Harbor again.
0: Absolutely. You can find uh, my films and web series, including Ninja the Mission Force, at neonharbor.com. You can also find me on Twitter at neon underscore harbor and on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash neon harbor.
1: All righty. And that's us. And remember, I am the champion of the ninjas. we